0: Section sixty-two of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of Saint Mark by J. C. Ryle, Chapter fourteen, verses ten to sixteen. Judas Iscariot undertakes to betray Christ for money. Connection between time of Passover and time of crucifixion. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Mark, chapter fourteen, verses ten to sixteen. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest-chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth, and came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the passover in these verses st mark tells us how our lord was delivered into the hands of his enemies it came to pass through the treachery of one of his own twelve disciples the false apostle judas iscariot betrayed him we ought to mark firstly in this passage to what lengths a man may go in a false profession of religion it is impossible to conceive a more striking proof of this painful truth than the history of Judas Iscariot. If ever there was a man who at one time looked like a true disciple of Christ, and bade fair to reach heaven, that man was Judas. He was chosen by the Lord Jesus himself to be an apostle. He was privileged to be a companion of the Messiah and an eye witness of his mighty works throughout his earthly ministry. He was an associate of Peter, james and john he was sent forth to preach the kingdom of god and to work miracles in christ's name he was regarded by all the eleven apostles as one of themselves he was so like his fellow disciples that they did not suspect him of being a traitor and yet this very man turns out at last a false-hearted child of the devil departs entirely from the faith assists our lord's deadliest enemies and leaves the world with a worse reputation than any one since the days of Cain. Never was there such a fall, such an apostasy, such a miserable end to a fair beginning, such a total eclipse of a soul. And how can this amazing conduct of Judas be accounted for? There is only one answer to that question. The love of money was the cause of this unhappy man's ruin. That same grovelling covetousness which enslaved the heart of Balaam and brought on Gehazi a leprosy was the destruction of Iscariot's soul. No other explanation of his behavior will satisfy the plain statements of Scripture. His act was an act of mean covetousness without a redeeming feature about it. The Holy Ghost declares plainly he was a thief. John chapter twelve, verse six. And his case stands before the world as an eternal comment on the solemn words the love of money is the root of all evil first timothy chapter six first ten let us learn from this melancholy history of judas to be clothed with humility and to be content with nothing short of the grace of the holy ghost in our hearts knowledge gifts profession privileges church membership power of preaching praying and talking about religion are all useless things if our hearts are not converted. They are all no better than sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal if we have not put off the old man and put on the new. They will not deliver us from hell above all let us remember our lord's caution to beware of covetousness luke chapter twelve verse fifteen. It is a sin that eats like a canker and once admitted into our hearts, may lead us finally into every wickedness. Let us pray to be content with such things as we have. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6 The possession of money is not the one thing needful. Riches entail great peril on the souls of those who have them. The true Christian ought to be far more afraid of being rich than of being poor we ought to mark, secondly in this passage, the intentional connection between the time of the Jewish Passover and the time of Christ's death. We cannot doubt for a moment that it was not by chance, but by God's providential appointment, that our Lord was crucified in the Passover week, and on the very day that the Passover lamb was slain. It was meant to draw the attention of the Jewish nation to him as the true Lamb of God. IT WAS MEANT TO BRING TO THEIR MINDS THE TRUE OBJECT AND PURPOSE OF HIS DEATH. EVERY SACRIFICE, NO DOUBT, WAS INTENDED TO POINT THE JEW ONWARD TO THE ONE GREAT SACRIFICE FOR SIN WHICH CHRIST OFFERED. BUT NONE, CERTAINLY, WAS SO STRIKING A FIGURE AND TYPE OF OUR LORD'S SACRIFICE AS THE SLAYING OF THE PASSOVER LAMB. IT WAS PREEMINENTLY AN ORDINANCE WHICH WAS A SCHOOLMASTER UNTO CHRIST. GALATIANS CHAPTER 3 VERSE 24 NEVER WAS THERE A TYPE SO FULL OF MEANING IN THE WHOLE CIRCLE OF JEWISH CEREMONIES AS THE PASSOVER WAS AT ITS ORIGINAL INSTITUTION. DID THE PASSOVER REMIND THE JEW OF THE MARVELOUS DELIVERANCE OF HIS FOREFATHERS OUT OF THE LAND OF EGYPT WHEN GOD SLEW THE FIRSTBORN? NO DOUBT IT DID. But it was also meant to be a sign to him of the far greater redemption and deliverance from the bondage of sin which was to be brought in by our lord jesus christ did the passover remind the jew that by the death of an innocent lamb the families of his forefathers were once exempted from the death of their firstborn no doubt it did but it was also meant to teach him the far higher truth that the death of christ on the cross was to be the life of the world did the passover remind the jew that the sprinkling of blood on the doorposts of his forefathers houses preserved them from the sword of the destroying angel no doubt it did but it was also meant to show him the far more important doctrine that christ's blood sprinkled on man's conscience cleanses it from all stain of guilt and makes him safe from the wrath to come did the passover remind the jew that none of his forefathers were safe from the destroying angel in the night when he slew the firstborn unless he actually ate of the slain lamb no doubt it did but it was meant to guide his mind to the far higher lesson that all who would receive benefit from christ's atonement must actually feed upon him by faith and receive him into their hearts let us call these things to mind, and weigh them well. We shall then see a peculiar fitness and beauty in the time appointed by God for our Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It happened at the very season when the mind of all Israel was being directed to the deliverance from Egypt, and all the events of that wondrous night when it took place. The lamb slain and eaten by every member of the family, the destroying angel, the safety within the blood-sprinkled door, would have been talked over and considered in every Jewish household the very week that our blessed Lord was slain. It would be strange indeed if such a remarkable death as his, at such a time, did not set many minds thinking and open many eyes. To what extent we shall never know till the last day. Let it be a rule with us, in the reading of our Bibles, TO STUDY THE TYPES AND ORDINANCES OF THE MOSAIC LAW WITH PRAYERFUL ATTENTION. THEY ARE ALL FULL OF CHRIST. THE ALTAR, THE SCAPEGOAT, THE DAILY BURNT OFFERING, THE DAY OF ATONEMENT, ARE ALL SO MANY FINGER POSTS POINTING TO THE GREAT SACRIFICE OFFERED BY OUR LORD ON CALVARY. THOSE WHO NEGLECT TO STUDY THE JEWISH ORDINANCES AS DARK, DULL, AND UNINTERESTING PARTS OF THE BIBLE only show their own ignorance and miss great advantages. Those who examine them with Christ as the key to their meaning will find them full of gospel light and comfortable truth. Footnote It may be well to observe in this connection that it admits of much question whether the common view of the word Passover is the correct one. At any rate, the following passage from Bishop Loth on Isaiah chapter 31 verse 5 deserves careful consideration he says quote, the common notion of god's passing over the houses of the israelites is that in going through the land of egypt to smite the firstborn seeing the blood on the door of the houses of the israelites he passed over or skipped those houses and forbore to smite them but that this is not the true notion of the thing will be plain from considering the words of the sacred historian where he describes very explicitly the action quote, For Jehovah will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood on the hatels and on the two side-posts, Jehovah will spring forward over or before the door, and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. Exodus chapter twelve verse twenty three. Here are manifestly two distinct agents with which the notion of passing over is not consistent, for that supposes but one agent. The two agents are the destroying angel passing through to smite every house, and Jehovah the protector, keeping pace with him, who, seeing the door of the Israelites marked with blood, leaps forward, throws himself with a sudden motion in the way, opposes the destroying angel, and protects and saves that house against him, nor suffers him to smite it. Quote. The words of Isaiah, chapter 31, verse 5, ought to be studied attentively in order to understand the fitness and propriety of this interpretation. End of, footnote. End of section 62